Selection with Kyra, where you can get the real on today's hot topics. Well, welcome everybody and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I am your host, Kyra. And on today's episode, I have joining me entertainment lawyer, Gordon Firemark, also known as the podcast lawyer. And today we will be discussing the legalities when it comes to podcasting. So thank you so much for joining me today, Gordon. How are you? I'm great, Kyra. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. No problem. It's a pleasure. So what I want to get started with is what exactly made you want to become an entertainment lawyer or come into law in the first place? What inspired you? Well, for me, it was always uh, showbiz first. (laughs) So I got exposed to live theater when I was very young. I was in kindergarten and I was in a a K through 12 school in, in the Massachusetts area. And uh, they brought the kindergarten class in to watch a dress rehearsal of the high school kids doing their production of Oliver. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, they sat us down and the, the lights went on and the curtains started moving around and, and the action happened on stage. And I was mesmerized. <laughs> I was drawn into that. And uh, I just knew that was what I wanted to be a part of. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, cut to, you know, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years later, I was, we'd moved across the country and I was starting to get into, you know, a middle school kid. I'm starting to get into some sort of low grade trouble with my friends and things like that. And for Uh some reason, the school school principal pulls me aside and says, I want you to run the lights and sound for the school variety show. And, you know, he just tapped right back into that. And so I was drawn back into the, the theater stuff and uh, did that through high school, started college as a theater major uh, mm-hmm. switched up into uh, radio, television, and film after a little while. And uh, law school didn't become a thing for me until I was a senior in, in college. And a professor suggested I should think about it. I laughed her out of the room and, <laughs> and then I thought about it. <laughs> so uh, worked in the television industry for a little while as a producer, um, uh, live television, sports, and events kind of coverage before I realized I did want to go to law school and uh, the writers had gone on strike that year. So that was a good time Uh for me to go to school. (laughs) And uh, it's, that was it ever since. So there was never any question it was going to be entertainment law. It was just uh, whether the law was the thing or not. So. Yeah. And so you've been practicing law for a few decades now. And um, you're also known, like I said in the beginning, as the podcast lawyer. So what kind of made you want to get on the legal side when it comes to podcasting in general? Well, you know, I was I was already working with uh, theater people and film and television production kinds of things. And when I uh, got hooked on podcasting myself mm-hmm. as a podcaster, I went looking for the legal resources on the subject, just mainly to educate myself about what I what might be different from those other areas. And I found nothing there. There wasn't anything. This was early on in the podcasting uh, uh, history. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I started my own show and I, I then I went looking for those resources. And since there weren't any, I decided, OK, I'll sit down and do the research. And I wrote a book and uh, uh, that positioned me as a bit of an expert. And uh, now that's 12 years ago or so. And it's that's how I'm now known as the podcast lawyer. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? You know, podcasting has become something that almost everybody and their mother is into nowadays and it's still 
and it's still kind of relatively new. I know that you say you did it 12 years ago, but it's still it's really just starting to be recognized as an actual means of being able to make even money off of podcasting, because before there was this was just a hobby for a lot of people to do. And so it was important for me to actually have you on today because there's so many people that I know that are into podcasting. A lot of them also don't have the background in broadcast media. And I know that you actually got your law degree at the University of Oregon for, um, you got your BA for uh, uh, broadcasting and communication, yeah. right? So, yes. you know, a lot of people don't come in there with that, ba- come into podcasting with that background. So they miss out on the legalities of when it comes to it because they think they can just create a show and say whatever they want, but they don't realize that there's rules and regulations in all aspects, regardless. You know, if you're on CNN or NBC or whatever, you have to, you know, go there, there's legal ramifications for things if you don't say them in the right, right way. So I want to get into what are some things that you should not say when it when it comes to a podcast and how do you legally protect yourself? <laughs> well, things that you should not say, you know, um, I was going to say you shouldn't you should only tell the truth basically because mm, you know absolutely. libel and uh, libel and slander that's defamation is false statements that uh, are factual in nature that make you know hurt, hurt somebody's reputation or something exactly. like that but then i realized well there's a lot of you know fiction scripted stuff as well and so it is okay to make up stories as long as it's not about real people that it, you know where it's going to hurt their reputation so mm-hmm. that's the big thing is is be truthful when truth is a, is a factor mm-hmm. um, or be very careful not to uh, injure people's reputations or, or even invade their privacy when you're doing uh, scripted nonfiction, I mean, fiction kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, defamation is one area, privacy, uh, revealing, um, you know, traditionally private things, people's medical history, sexual preferences, sexual, I should say, sexual orientation, uh, sexual histories, educational histories, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, you need consent from the people to to uh, to talk about those kinds of things, unless it's newsworthy, unless there's a real uh, public interest in knowing this stuff, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Uh, obviously don't incite violence and don't, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> don't threaten mm-hmm. government officials and things like that. But uh, yeah. actually, you know, free speech is a pretty strong thing here in the U.S. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, almost, almost anything goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I know that you're speaking of consent. I know that you mm-hmm. created a podcast guest release form. Yes, indeed. So what what made you want to create a podcast guest release form? Because I've noticed that in the world of podcasting, um, a lot of people do not give guest release forms. Like I said, there's so many people yeah. that don't really have broadcasting backgrounds. And mm-hmm. so they don't really know the proper channels and the ways that they should go about, you know, handling the business side of the podcast that, you know, ultimately yeah. they miss out on that step. So why why is a guest podcast guest release form necessary in this field? Well, first off, let me say that, yeah, you know, we talk about a broadcasting background and that's great for people to have a background, you know, and, and understand how production works and how to get good sound quality and and, you know, the general basics of getting your message out. But podcasting is not the same as broadcast media. It's not like radio. And one of the big things that I see uh, people who come out of the radio world uh, saying is, well, we never got a release when I was working in radio, or we never worried about this other aspect, you know, whatever aspect it is. And I just have to say, hey, different medium, 
different rules. Mm-hmm. This is sort of my crusade, Kyra. You know, I I feel that a uh, a written release that said that is consent to record mm-hmm. and a promise, you know, that they're they they are that you can use what you record in any medium you want forever. Mm-hmm. That's where it's really different from from the broadcast in in radio. It's on the air and then it's gone. And people either heard it or they didn't. Maybe there's a recording somewhere, but it doesn't get the, you know, it's not an evergreen kind of medium like this is. So um, this is more like film in that regard, where we we do expect everybody uh, who's in a film to sign a contract that says you can capture my performance and use it. Same mm-hmm. thing for uh, for podcasts. We, we want to consent to the capture. Uh, and by the way, in not all states uh, is recording somebody legal <laughs> without their consent anyway. So you mm-hmm. want the consent, you want that irrevocability. They can't withdraw their permission later. That's a, a problem that I've seen happen a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want them to promise that they're not going to sue you if, if the material is embarrassing to them or, or does cause them some kind of harm um, mm-hmm. or, or invades their privacy or reveals stuff that they you know, have second thoughts about later. So it, it really is a, a tool for getting people thinking, okay, this is a serious thing. It's not just a lark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, a lot of times when it comes to podcasting, you know, people, I know you just mentioned the the fact of, you know, you want to make it so if you have the podcast guest release form, if some, if they, if the episode comes out and it's to, not to the guest liking, they can't try to sue you because they don't like the way that they're portrayed on there. Right. So, what are some other issues that you can run into by not having a podcast guest release form besides that? Well, you might have questions about the ownership of the content that you've created because, you know, the way copyright law works is when two people get together and create something that is a single unitary whole, like a podcast episode in the absence of a clear uh, definition of their intent, they are joint owners of that joint authors of that copyrighted work. And so you could mm. theoretically have a guest claiming, Hey, I co-own that episode. I want a copy. I'm going to publish it my way. And you know, those kinds of things. So I feel very strongly that, uh, you know, there should only be the the podcaster as the owner of the material. So that's another component of the of the guest release for sure. Yeah, and I mean, in this, you know, if you're a podcaster, you definitely don't want to get into a situation where someone is trying to, you know, take ownership of the property that's ultimately yours because it's your show. So, yeah. you know, that could be very detrimental to a podcaster. So, for everybody that's listening out right now, and you are, if you are someone that is thinking about becoming a podcaster, if you are a podcaster, you know, I'm on some um, podcast support group sites. And this is a question that comes up a lot is like, you know, it it does. If I do have a guest on and they don't really like the way they're they're portrayed, should I just take it off? You know, what should I do in a situation like that? Do they actually own the legal rights? So, yeah, like the fact that you created this guest release form for the show, like it's very useful. And you people can also find that on your website, right? Yeah, well, it's actually got its own little landing page. It's at podcastrelease.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in exchange, it's not free. It's an exchange for your email address. And I will send you a few emails afterwards to, <laughs> to tell you how to use it and and uh, about some of the other things that I offer. But, uh, uh, you know, it's an opt-out, the opt-in, opt-out kind of thing. Very easy to do. I will say, by the way, you know, just because you have a guest release that says you have the right to publish this stuff doesn't mean if somebody 
calls you or, or writes you and says, Hey, you know, this is, this is hurting me because of this, or, or I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I said something, my boss doesn't like it. I'm going to get fired. You can still take it down. It's just mm-hmm. that it's now your choice. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any other uh, release forms that you have on your site? Like, do you have one for musicians? Let's just say they come on your show and they want to play their music. I know that there's a lot of legalities when it comes to musicians coming on and playing their music as well. So is that something that you offer? Yeah, we have... You, we have a whole sort of, you know, store full of, of forms that you can purchase from us. The, the, the guest release is free. Um, we also have one, actually, that's more oriented for like live streamers who are doing video as well as audio. That's at guestrelease.com. It's basically the same document, with a little extra language about video and that kind of thing. Uh, but the, the rest of the forms and things are, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're available on our website at uh, gordonfiremark.com. So you can check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what are some legal issues that you can run into when it comes to having a a musician on your show and they want to play your music? What are the necessary steps that you need to go through in order to make sure that you get clearance on that type of music? Well, you nailed it. You have to do clearance on on the music or really anybody else's content that you incorporate into your show. Because when you own, when you, um, are creating something and you're using other people's stuff, well, those other people own it, right? A copyright comes into existence the moment a, a, a creator makes something original and fixes it in some tangible form. So recording a, a spoken word that's recorded or, or a, a book or a poem or anything that's written down, that's copyrighted, protected from the moment it's created. And so uh, when you incorporate that material. If you don't have permission, you are violating the exclusive rights of the copyright holder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and that copyright infringement can be a pretty troublesome thing. It certainly, you know, the most common thing is it just gets taken down by the hosting company when they receive a notice, but you could get sued. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, nobody wants to fight those battles in court if you can avoid it. So, um, with music, it's especially tricky because there's actually two copyrights for every recorded song. There's the copyright in the musical composition, the work that the songwriters did. And then there's also the uh, the copyright in the recording that is made usually by a record company or sometimes the artists do it, but they often sell it to a record company. So you've got to stop and and, and think about which copyrights am I using and who do I need permission from? Typically, mm-hmm. that's a music publishing company for the songwriters part of it and the record company for the uh, recording part of it. And then you get into the more complicated challenge of, well, what rights do you need? Mm-hmm. You're incorporating uh, that that music into a new recording. So you're making what we call a derivative work, and that requires one kind of a license. But you're also performing the work. You're streaming it. Oh, you know, podcast players are often streamed over the internet. That stream is what we call a performance. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, administered by a different outfits called um, ASCAP and BMI. And there's a couple of other CSAC and GMR here in the US. And in every country, there are other performing rights organizations that actually collect royalties on a sort of blanket basis for these kinds of things. So uh, I, I sort of jokingly say you've got four stop shopping when you want to go get these rights um, mm-hmm. because you need the the two kinds of rights 
for each of the two kinds of copyrights. So it gets very tricky and very complicated. Unfortunately, there's just no shortcut to this. And so uh, unfortunately, it's still hard to use music in podcasts. Yeah. And, you know, that's why a lot of times I've known of some other podcasters that wanted to use, you know, artist music on their show. And it's just such a headache to go through all the legal ramifications in order to get the clearance for it. And that's why a lot of podcasts in general don't really play music, because I know there's some people that are like, oh, you know, why is it music played on podcasts? Well, this is some of the reasons behind why it's not, you know, it's very yeah. different from radio and that they have licensing agreements and they have agreements with the publishers and so forth to be able to legally play the music on air that podcasters do not. So that's a lot of good information for people to know out there. I will say, Kyra, you know, if you're a podcaster and and you're doing a show about new artists, unsigned bands and things like that, it gets a little easier because you're dealing directly with that artist and you can get a musical license directly from them. But again, this is an area where you got to get it in writing because a year from now, when that artist has now signed with Sony records or something, and then Sony puts the song out uh, and, and, and claims ownership of it, they're going to come and want to take down your, your, your show. So you've got to be able to prove I had permission when we made the show and that permission continues. Mm -hmm. So get it in writing. That's the lawyer's mantra. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've also gotten a lot of questions from other podcasters when it comes to them having guests on their show, if they are a guest based podcast or if they have guests on their show on occasions. um, A lot of times they're they're in question of how do they brief the guests before they come on the actual show, before the show actually starts. So what are some things that you feel like if a guest is coming on the podcast needs to be aware of before they actually record the show? Well, I think the guest release is a good start on that to call it briefing, I guess, uh, because it's saying, here's what I'm expecting from you, Mr. Guest or Ms. Guest. Um, uh, Beyond that, I think that's going to vary, you know, depending on the nature of the show. I think it's sort of incumbent on the guest to know who they're talking to and what kind of a show they're going on. But it's not a bad idea to have a one sheet or a or a candy email that you send out to every guest saying, here's what our show's about. Here's who our audience is. Here's the kind of things we want to talk about. And then maybe I'm not a big fan of giving them the questions in advance, but you could sort of say, here are the five topics I want to cover in our show. Mm -hmm. And that way the guest can feel prepared, feel comfortable about it. And I will say, if you, if you ask surprise, not surprise questions, but you know, if you always ask the same couple of questions at the end, you know, what's your favorite ice cream flavor or something like that. It's, it's nice to let the guests know that too. So they can at least start to formulate an answer for that. But uh, mm-hmm. um, beyond that, I think it really is on the guest to know what they're doing and who they're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you said a little earlier in the show that um, there are some things that you should, with some of the things that you should and should not say on a podcast in general, but that was more so in regards to the actual podcaster. So are there anything for the, as far as guests that come on the show that they should know that they legally can and cannot say when it comes to being a guest? It's the same. Yeah. It's the same rules. Uh, I think, you know, if you can let the guest know, Hey, if we're talking about other people, please be sure you're, you're speaking truth or opinion and not, you know, uh, uh, you know, questionable comments about things or whatever. I, I don't think that, you know, look that ultimately it's going to be incumbent on the podcaster to 
think critically about what's said and, and maybe pull stuff out of the interview or call out the, the guest when they say something controversial or or just downright wrong and say, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure that's really true. Where do you get your information? You, know, you can sort of be it comes down to being a journalist, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think one thing that a lot of new or well, new podcasters fail to think of themselves as journalists. They just think, oh, I'm just, you know, having this fun conversation with people. Exactly. You're presenting information to the public at large. And so you're doing um, a form of journalism. And I think we need to take it seriously. Absolutely. And there's a lot of legal ramifications if you do not stand with, you don't Mm -hmm. stand within those fine lines of things that you can and cannot say, no matter if you have a background in, you know, media, (laughs) Um, you have to still follow the rules. So that goes for everybody that has a platform out there. And for all those other podcasters are thinking about getting into podcasting. These are things that you should definitely take into consideration if you are going to start your show. So, yeah. So I want to actually get into trademarking and copywriting now. So should you trademark and copyright your podcast? Well, as I said earlier, you know, copyright springs into existence from the moment the work is created. Now, that doesn't mean you you, you don't have to do anything, uh, but you own the copyright from the moment you create and fix a work. As long as it's original material, mm-hmm. you own it. Um, there is a registration system here in the United States. Not all countries have registration systems, but here in the U.S. we do. And it's a great idea to register your copyrights. But I'll tell you, you know, there's an expense associated with 50, 60, I think it's $65 now to register a copyright. So if you're going to do a, an episode every week, that's, you know, that's, that's not an insignificant amount of money to be throwing at the uh, U.S. government for the mm-hmm. privilege of, of uh, you know, getting a little notice that, OK, we have your copyright on file. Uh, but the advantages of registering are that if there is an infringement, if somebody does copy your episode, you have uh, the ability, A, to hire a lawyer who will be able to get attorney's fees out of the defendant if you win the case. Um, so attorney's fees and also statutory damages. You wouldn't have to prove your actual out-of-pocket losses as a consequence of that in- infringement. So that can be the difference between being able to sue and not being able to sue. Uh, because, you know, let's face it, lawyers cost a lot of money and, and uh, litigation is a long drawn out expensive process. So if you can shift the burden of the of the legal fees to the defendant, um, that's valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also, you know, sort of prima facie or, you know, first blush evidence of ownership of the copyright. So it's a good idea uh, to register within three months of the first time you publish the episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, I think it is a good idea to get it done. But you might have to triage it and decide which episodes are you sort of most worried about or likely to have a problem. You can register at any time, but you can't get those attorney's fees and statutory damages unless you've registered within the first three months um, mm. and bef- and before the infringement occurs. <laughs> so oh, okay. that's, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. No, no, I, I was finished. So and I would definitely encourage a lot of people if, for all those people that are wanting to get out there and start a podcast to um, go and register the trademark for your podcast, especially since there is a lot of people that are stealing other people's content, especially when yeah. it comes to you hear a lot of YouTube bloggers talk about it, influencers and so forth. Yeah. So definitely handle the business side of that and definitely go register, you know, the trademark for the name of your podcast so nobody can steal that 
that. And there's also ways for people to be able to look up to make sure that the name of their show is not already taken. Right. So, so I know some of the ways are looking through the uh, podcast directories like Apple or Spotify or whatever to see if the name is already taken. But what are some other ways that people can figure out whether or not the name for their potential podcast is not taken by someone else? Well, first off, let me say that not every title for a podcast is going to be registrable as or protectable as a trademark. You know, I, my own show is an example where when I first started it, it was a it, the term entertainment law update was very descriptive. Tells you exactly what you're going to get. Descriptive mm -hmm. terms are not registrable as trademarks. They can't be protected that way. Now, over time, you can acquire the distinctiveness that's required for uh, trademark protection. And my show being 12 years old now, is, I think I've got the distinctiveness covered. It's what we call secondary meaning in the mind of the of the consumer or the public. Uh, but the best advice would be when choosing a title for your show is choose something that's distinctive, that stands apart and sets you apart from the competition and then and then register it. So the first step to being distinctive is what you said, searching, finding out if there's an existing title uh, already out there. Uh, you can search the trademark office records at USPTO.gov. Uh, here in the U.S., um, searching all the podcast directories and doing a, a thorough Google search uh, or search engine search is a great idea. Uh, and then if you're really serious <clears throat> and you're planning to register your trademark for your show, I would say um, do a comprehensive trademark availability search. Mm. Um, that is something you there are companies out there that do them. Um, they're a little you know, the result that you get from these, I'll tell you, I did one last week, it was 1800 pages long. Wow. The, the result, because it lists every potentially conflicting, you know, brand out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, they want to be as, as inclusive as possible. So they're careful. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it pays to maybe use a lawyer to do that part of it. And, you know, as I said, it's a few hundred dollars to the third party search fee, uh, a search company. And then, you know, you might have to pay a few hundred dollars to a lawyer. But if you're investing in starting a new venture, I think that's a money well spent. And mm -hmm. uh, conducting a really comprehensive search is the best way to know that your title is clear. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I actually had um, a trademark and copyright lawyer mm -hmm. actually on the show. And we talked a little bit about what well, we talked all about trademarking and copywriting. But um, I know one of the things that she said, well, one of the things that I did ask her was on uh, a lot of the times you see other people say when it comes to trademarking or copywriting, they have those online sites where you can go to for legal advice or you can have them get release, get release forms from them. So do you feel like it is a good idea for someone to get legal advice from these sites or go to them in order for any type of legal assistance? You know, uh, yeah, I, I think we're talking about the, companies with words like zoom or rocket in their names and yes, and, uh, yes. I, actually, <laughs> I actually think of these companies as basically the equivalent of a legal document vending machines mm. and and uh, uh you know legal stuff is something that i think needs to be custom tailored often not always mm -hmm. there are some you know you can get a simple will or or a simple guest release or something like that from a vending machine and it'll, it'll be fine 99 percent <laughs> of the time but when you're doing something a little more specific uh and i i would say that trademark registration is something that requires some specific attention um 
I would say using one of these companies is a little like getting a haircut from a vending machine. Mm. Uh, you got a box with a hole in the bottom. You're going to stick your head in there and pay a dollar to get a haircut. You, you might come out looking great or you might <laughs> or not, lose, or you might lose an ear. Exactly. <laughs> you know? More than likely you're going to lose that ear. <laughs> so, so be thoughtful and careful about this. You know, you get what you pay for. Exactly. True. So don't cut the corners, y'all. Go there, get an actual lawyer, do whatever you got to do. Like I said um, to the uh, uh, to Jamie um, on the episode that we did about trademarking, I said, you know, if you got to pawn some jewelry, honey, you got to do what you got to do, you know, to get that lawyer, to get somebody legitimate to help you with the process. Then you got to do that. So. Hey, <laughs> I think I think people anticipate the legal fees for these kinds of things being much more than they really are. I mean, every lawyer charges different amounts, of course. But, um, you know, if if the scope of the assignment is relatively clear and small, you know, the, the expense, it doesn't have to be through the roof. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, keep those ears attached to your head. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so another thing I'm curious about is um, I know some people do watermarking in order to protect some of their content and from others stealing their content. Yeah. But do you think that that's a good way of protecting your intellectual property by watermarking your content? I think it's a great approach. I mean, it's a t- technological solution to establishing the ownership and the timeline of when something existed in in a particular form. It is not a substitute, though, for that copyright registration because the watermark proves it, it was yours, mm-hmm. but it it still doesn't you know provide the attorney's fees and and statutory damages. And in the U.S. now, the law says you're required to have a registration before you file your lawsuit anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, watermarks are great. It, it does allow you to track it and find stuff out on the internet, but it, it, I, I wouldn't call that a legal solution. It's a technological um, um, countermeasure, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. I know a lot of people when it comes to podcasts like to use intro and outro music. Yeah. And I know a lot of times um, a lot of podcasters, they get their logos done by other people from different so freelancers from different sites yeah. that help them with their logos. And I know a lot of times these freelancers will put their um, they're able to use the logo for commercial use. So are there any leaks? So if you use if you get a logo done by one of these freelancers and it says that, do you as a podcaster own the soul? Um, do you own the logo? It Itself, or does the person that created the logo have ownership of that? That's a great question. Technically, under uh, under U.S. law, and most most law follows this now around the world because we're signatory to some international treaties. Uh, the independent contractor that you hire to do the work for you actually owns the copyright in the material they create, unless they either transfer that ownership to you or. Uh, the contract itself specifies that it's a what we call a work made for hire. Certain mm-hmm. kinds of works can be created that way under a contract that says it's work made for hire. And then the employer, not the employee, uh, not the contractor owns that that work. So I would say, and unfortunately, most of these freelance sites that you're talking about don't really cover that in their basic agreement. So mm. you would need to ask the specific question and insist on some specific language about those kinds of things, mm-hmm. um, which it can be done. And sometimes they'll charge you a little more in order mm-hmm. to, to do that. But uh, definitely uh, a good idea to, to have that conversation on the front end rather than 
after the fact. Another thing to watch out for with those freelance sites is, uh, unfortunately, I've seen a handful of them, uh, situations where the, the logo is finished and it looks great, and it includes an image that the designer didn't license. And so, yeah. and this happens with website design and all kinds of other things too. And so eventually what you get is a letter or, or a demand from, you know, Getty Images or one of the stock photo companies uh, demanding thousands of dollars for the, all the past infringement, because now you've got a hundred episodes with that cover art um, mm -hmm. or logo or something like that. So be really careful and make sure that the, the folks you're dealing with are taking care of all of that or or if they let you know that they're not, they have to tell you where to get the rights to that particular image. Mm -hmm. And so is it legal for you to play at least or even 30 seconds of one of your favorite artist songs on your actual podcast? Or is that something that all podcasters should not do? <laughs> I know that's a big question. I know that's a general question for a lot of podcasters. Well, the answer is really easy. It's maybe. Mm. <laughs> so look, the general rule is if you use something that is owned by somebody else, you need mm -hmm. their consent and permission for that, a license. Mm -hmm. So basically the answer should be no, don't use other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. There are, there's a big exception in the law and that is something called fair use. And it's a mm. principle based on free speech, First Amendment, uh, you know, because, look, there's an inherent conflict between a free speech, a, a constitutional provision that says Congress shall make no law in, infringing on free speech. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, and then there's a law that uh, the Congress made that says you can't copy that thing in your speech. Mm -hmm. So we have this inherent conflict. And over the, the decades of the 20th century, the courts uh, developed this exception or defense called fair use. Mm -hmm. And it takes it takes a complicated four factor analysis over what's the nature and purpose of the use in question? What's the, the purpose of the original one? What's the how much was taken amount and substantiality of what was taken? And what's mm -hmm. the market impact of mm -hmm. this uh, on the original? If you and you balance all those factors, there's no rules of thumb. But if it balances in favor of the free speech side, then it's fair use. If it balances in favor of the other, then it's not. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, no rules of thumb. You can't be sure until you get a judge or a jury to answer the question for you. Mm -hmm. So you're back into that long litigation, expensive process. Mm -hmm. So my general advice is don't use other people's stuff without their permission. That said, a very small snippet of, you know, a piece of music because you're talking about that artist or you're talking about that song in particular mm -hmm. could very well be fair use if there's a sort of a newsworthy or, crit, you know, criticism and commentary kind of basis for using it. But mm -hmm. you can't use, you know, the first 10 seconds of, of ACDC's Back in Black as the opening for your show every week because mm -hmm. that's definitely not mm -hmm. criticism and commentary or newsworthy stuff. So it really depends on the context. And that's why I said the answer is maybe. Yeah. And so do you feel like all podcasters should hire a lawyer? And I feel like I already know where your question's going to well, go. Well, the lawyer this. in me says, oh, absolutely. I'm available. Here's my number. You know, give me a call. Absolutely. The fact of it is most podcasters don't need a lawyer all the time. You know, you don't need somebody on retainer unless you're doing a lot of this controversial kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you might once you know, look, if you need to register a trademark for your podcast, yeah, you should use a lawyer. Um, if you need a particular kind of agreement, let's say you're, you're bringing on sponsors and you want to have a good solid contract with your advertisers, 
you need a lawyer to draw up that contract. Or if you're starting a podcast network and you're going to bring on other shows, you need a lawyer for that. But for the day-to-day operation of a podcast, I, if you know the rules, if you understand them, you know, the book that I mentioned earlier um, it is probably a good resource. It's called the Podcast Blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. Mm-hmm. And I'll go get find, that. Yeah, you can find that at uh, podcastlawbook.com. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, study up, know your rights, know your responsibilities, and uh, hopefully you won't need someone like me, but once in a blue moon. <laughs> just, I'm just only a phone call away, just in case you need me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I also do for those for the podcasters that are more in the do it yourself kind of mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of folks that are. Um, they would do it themselves, but there's enough sort of fear or concern. This is technical. It's complicated stuff. I actually have an online course that I've created called Easy Legal for Podcasters. Oh, and that's okay. uh, uh, that's another option, too, where I sort of walk you through how to form your LLC or your corporation to protect your personal assets and separate things for the podcast, how to register your trademarks and copyrights and protect your your ideas with trade secret, with uh, non-disclosure agreements and things like that, how to build a team and get everybody signed on board. Because again, remember I said, when you have people working with you on your show, whether it's that guest or a producer or a co-host or anything, mm-hmm. those people are going to start to look like co-owners, co-authors authors unless you've got the right paperwork done to to clarify the I, I call that like a podcast prenup yes um, <laughs> and uh, and then those advertiser and client relationships and things like that too so uh, we sort of cover all of that inside the course as well yeah and so speaking of llcs you say podcaster you would recommend podcasters actually get llcs especially if they plan on monetizing their podcast so why do you feel that that's necessary for podcasters who want to make you know podcasting their full-time job and not just a hobby? I'd say it goes beyond just the folks that want to make it a full-time job. I would say that if you have personal assets, a home, um, you know, a bank, significant bank accounts and retirement funds and things like that, it's really a good idea to separate your your personal from your podcast and other things. Now, if your podcast is inside your business, it's part of promoting your coaching business or your, or your uh, professional services or whatever, maybe you don't need this separately, but mm-hmm. um, if you're doing something that's not really related to another business, yeah, you should form a company for the podcast so that a, you've got that separateness. If somebody does end up suing because of something on the podcast, they're going after the show, the, the company, not your personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that liability protection is is one of the most important reasons to have a company structure. Mm-hmm. Um, that podcast prenup part of it is another where if you've got partners, you want to figure out who owns what and who's in charge of what and who's in control and, and whatever his responsibilities are. Sometimes putting everybody inside the LLC is a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if you're bringing in investors, that's another good reason to form a company. And, uh, of course there's some street cred when, when sponsors are dealing <laughs> with companies, they prefer to deal with companies. Look, you know, yeah. it feels like that stability is, is, uh, important, even mm-hmm. though it's largely a fiction in many ways, yeah. it's nice to have that, uh, that sort of business name with LLC or Inc. in it to give people some 
comfort that they're dealing with someone who's going to be around a year from now. Yeah. And so I know in the state of California, having an LLC, you have to pay higher yearly Mm -hmm. taxes on it. Mm -hmm. So for someone that just kind of starting off monetizing their show and they're not really generating as much revenue um, as say someone that's been doing this for a couple of years for now, uh, or say like a Joe Rogan, who's making millions of dollars. So, you know, he could definitely have an LLC. So do you recommend someone that is just kind of starting off um, with their podcast and just getting a little bit of money starting to come in for their show, do you recommend them getting an LLC since the yearly taxes in the state, especially in California, is much higher? You know, that may be a little too soon for thinking about this if you're just starting out. But if you're monetizing or if you're doing, you know, things that have significant risk, like, you know, if you're if you're doing a sort of hard hitting show where you're talking about issues and people and things like that, you're more likely to have that defamation mm-hmm. privacy kind of stuff come in. It's something to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other alternative on that liability protection side is insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, but unfortunately, the kind of insurance you need for this kind of business, it, what we call media errors and omissions insurance is very expensive also. So mm-hmm. if you have personal assets to insulate and protect, then I would say, you know, forming the entity and or getting some insurance is a good idea. I was just talking to somebody about the insurance uh, he bought, or, or I guess he's shopping for uh, just last week, and uh, mm-hmm. it was going to cost him about $4,000 per year. Wow. So compared oh, to the tax burden of the LLC, um, the LLC was easier. <laughs> and he's not in California, so it's not as big as issue. Well, that was the easy, that was a no brainer in that situation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So you also say that there's some tax advantages from actually having an LLC. So what are some of those tax advantages that you get, especially when it comes to being a podcaster for an LLC with having an LLC as a podcaster? Well, I'm going to give a little, a double disclaimer here. First of all, all of what we've been talking about, I'm, I am a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. I'm not the, the listener's lawyer just because they're listening to the show. I'm definitely not a tax advisor. And I'm, I, I only know, a you know, a hair, a, a hair's thickness of, of tax stuff. What I'll <laughs> say is um, you can run the expenses of your podcast, all the equipment cost, all of the uh, studio, you know, everything you do to set up and get built and all your, your um, uh, operational stuff like uh, hosting fees and things like that all become business expenses if you run them through your LLC or your, mm-hmm. your corporation. Um, sometimes if you don't have a company, the government will, the IRS will look at this as a sort of hobby and mm-hmm. they won't let you take all those deductions. You can also use the company to set up a retirement plan for yourself and medical expense reimbursements and, and all kinds of other things that are, you know, valuable um, uh, ways to, defer some income till later in life or all kinds of different things. So definitely want to talk with a tax advisor about it as you get into making these decisions. Yes, I definitely know you're not TurboTax or anything, but (laughs) I do know you made that statement. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that. So everybody knows now he's not TurboTax, y'all. Don't call (laughs) him for no tax information. (laughs) So what do you feel like are some common mistakes that you see a lot of podcasters make when they first start off in their when they first start off with podcasting? Well, uh, the first one is using music. It's mm-hmm. it is the most common thing. People either they want to use music or they do, and then they don't realize that they could have a problem. Uh, I think that's the biggest issue. Um, 
just not thinking about these kinds of issues generally, all the kind of stuff we've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, just coming at it as a, as a purely as a hobby, an amateur approach to things is nice. I mean, it's wonderful to have a hobby, but this is a kind of hobby that has consequences if you don't do it right. You know, I guess there's lots of hobbies that are like that. You need to know the rules. So mm-hmm. I would say that's the the big mistake is, is uh, thinking it's just like radio or I'm going to make a, a show that's just like my favorite radio shows from when I was a kid. It's, yeah. it's just not. Yeah. And so what would you say are some of the crazy situations that you dealt with as a lawyer regarding either, you know, trademark or copyright infringements or any issues with uh, guest release forms that you can share with everybody? I'll tell you the the biggest blowback that I've seen on uh, in the podcasting world uh, have involved two things. One, currently uh, a client of mine is being sued for defamation for something that was for a bunch of things that were said on their podcast and on the podcast web pages and social media and stuff like that. I think it's a bogus suit. I'm not mm-hmm. actually handling the defense of that suit because it's in another state, but uh, um, uh, you know, it, it's it. Somebody got angry over things that were said on the show and they're determined to make an example out of this uh, of this client. Fortunately, they have a company and they do have uh, insurance that will pay for some of the legal fees and things like that. Uh, the other side, uh, this is a few years ago, and this is what sort of set me off on the crusade about releases, mm-hmm. is um, uh, a podcaster who does consider herself a journalist and thinks like a journalist had a guest on her show in her earliest season talking about a specific issue that guest is a an expert and has a particular point of view on that issue mm-hmm. years later the ho- the show um sh- not shifted its focus but they had a counterpoint an expert on the other side come on the show and um the original guest from the first one demanded that it be taken i want nothing to be i don't want to be associated with your podcast anymore i want nothing to do with it take it all down my episode don't mention my name etc etc so my client you know said well i don't want to take it down but if you insist i would like you to write an explanation of why what's your point of view that you have decided that you don't want to be on my feed anymore with this old episode mm-hmm. and the woman refused to mm. to write anything no i don't want any reference i don't want anybody who runs a google search to find my name on this podcast anymore oh my, my client said you know what no this is journalism i'm i'm doing mm-hmm. a public service this is important information mm-hmm. and uh i'm not going to take it down or i'll write my own i think it was what she said and mm-hmm. so the the guest sued and mm. uh it was actually characterized as a $15 million lawsuit, which was oh my God. preposterous. Yes. Uh, there's no way she had those kind of damages. But in the absence of, the, of a written agreement, my client was sort of stuck in this place of having to cave in to these ridiculous demands or pay tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to, uh, to fight mm-hmm. um, over this you know, still relatively young podcast that wasn't generating any revenue for her. So yeah, uh, those are the kinds of nightmare scenarios that can happen. Had she had a company in place, it might have helped. It might have, you know, kept her personal, her family assets off the chopping block there. So 
Yeah. And that's why I keep reiterating for everybody to know your legal rights as a podcaster. Mm. There's so many people that get in here just wanting to do it as a hobby. And like I said, some people want to do it as an actual career path for themselves. But you have to it's important for you to protect yourself. So I encourage everybody, everybody out there to go and download uh, the podcast lawyer, Gordon Firemarks, uh, guest release form, protect yourself, you know, hire him as a lawyer for you, honey. I know he can't do any taxes for you, but he can give you some legal advice a little bit on the tax advantages too, to having an LLC. So yes, everybody protect yourself. You don't want to get in these types of situations, but $15 million. Wow. (laughs) Do you even know the outcome of this situation? Did she ended up having to pay like the 15 mil that the lady was asking for? Or it wasn't anywhere near 15 million. There was a settlement and Mm -hmm. I'm not really at liberty to discuss the the figures and things like that, but uh, um, it was a relatively, uh, well, I won't say it's a relatively small payment compared to $15 million. It was relatively small, but you know, for this average person who, you know, is just a a normal person with a family Mm -hmm. uh, writing that check was painful. I bet it's painful for me to even hear this story. Uh, Right. (laughs) So I know a lot of times with um, a lot of influencers and some YouTubers and even podcasters, they'll advertise other people's products. And I know and and now they have, especially on Instagram and Facebook, that if you're advertising certain products, you have to say whether or not it's a paid ad or if it's a sponsored ad. Mm -hmm. So what are some legal issues that you can run into if you are a, a podcast? podcast or a YouTuber or even an influencer that is uh, sponsoring other people's products and the products actually do not depict the actual reviews that are being brought up on the particular product or the company itself. Why do they have these rules in place on like Instagram and Facebook now? Yeah. It's actually a legal requirement. Um, the, uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission regulates uh, false advertising and, mm-hmm. and, uh, marketing messages are considered advertising. So when that influencer um, talks about a particular brand and that brand is paying him or her, mm-hmm. either in goods or in money, uh, the public has a right to know. I mean, when you think about it, if I if I do a podcast episode where I talk, you know, all, all about how great, I don't know, um, uh, Apple computers are. I love my Mac. I love my iPad. I love my iPhone. It's fantastic. And then you went out and bought a Mac or went out and decided to shop. Maybe you'll get a Mac. Wouldn't you like to have known that I got paid for saying all those nice things about Macintosh? Absolutely. <laughs> right. So same goes for when Kim Kardashian goes out carrying that Gucci bag or or um, or someone talks about this nutritional supplement that they use that they love. You want to know. Right. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. not just how much they love it, but they love it because they're getting paid. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anytime you're advertising, uh, this goes for affiliate ads, too. When when I mention a product and how you can get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And if you just go to the link in my show notes, uh, you know, most people kind of get it. But you need to say and when you click on my link, I'm going to receive a commission on that sale. Thank you very much. Doesn't cost you anything more, but you know, you, you have a right and and a need to know that. Mm -hmm. So it's all about transparency Uh, for podcasters. This also applies to, I, and this is maybe a little controversial opinion. If you have a a show where your guests pay you to be guests on the show, Mm -hmm. I think that's an endorsement of that guest. 
mm. and you need to tell the, the audience same thing. Hey, mm. our next guest uh, paid us to be on the show. Here's, you know, welcome, please welcome so-and-so. And, -so. and mm. uh, it'll just make the audience take things with a little more grain of salt. And, and there are, there are lots of these pay to play podcasts out there. So uh, be thoughtful mm. about this. Transparency is key. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, you know, they they say in the radio industry, payola, how an artist yeah. gives their their music to be played and then they pay the yeah. actual radio company to play it. And it's the same thing going on now with podcasters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if we would call it payola, but I guess what? it still is the same. Yeah, payola is an old term. It comes back to the 1940s and 50s, actually. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, it is sort of the same thing. And um uh, yeah, we need we need to be you know careful about that. Um, I had a I had another train of thought and it left the station without me. Oh, it's okay. It <laughs> it's happens okay. to me all of the yeah. time. But I will say that you know we live in a world of social media where everything is just smoke and mirrors, and so mm -hmm. you don't know what's true or what's false. You see so many people advertising, you know, teas and stuff like that. Oh, you get this yeah. tea and you'll lose like twenty five pounds in two days or whatever. And it's like, come on now, you know. And to me, it's like obvious that it's not true. But it, like you said, it's good to know whether or not the person is getting paid to say this because you know, that that kind of lets the other people, the yeah. the the consumers know that this product may or may not work for them. You know, yeah. it lets them to be able to decide whether or not they should make the purchase for themselves. So, yeah, you know, the regulations really are about false and misleading advertising. And I would yeah. say that if you aren't telling your audience that you're being compensated for the message you're sharing, mm -hmm. that's misleading them. Absolutely. And there you go. Yeah. So you also say that a cease and desist letter can be a little tricky, tricky and costly uh, litigation. So what are some roadblocks people often run into with a cease and desist letter and what type of action should you take in these situations? Well, you know, a cease and desist is really just a demand. Mm -hmm. Someone is saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing. I want you to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that's fine. That's great, actually. Uh, Nowadays, with digital stuff online, we also have the DMCA takedown procedure where you can, if you're a copyright owner, uh, you can notify the hosting company, hey, that episode of that show at this URL, you know, is using my copyrighted stuff. And they take it down right away because they, they want to avoid getting sued. And this is their protection. If they comply with these policies, they can they can avoid that lawsuit. They're in what's called a safe harbor. But the cease and desist is, is the you know, my lawyer sending you a demand, take that down, stop what you're doing. Don't you dare, you know, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. The trouble is, um, and this is what I think you're referring to, is if somebody sends a cease and desist letter, they are creating a case for controversy, or at least the potential for the threat of a case or controversy. And that threat of a lawsuit is sometimes enough for the recipient of the cease and desist letter to file suit first and say, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, judge. Please tell them I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And once that lawsuit starts, it's a freight train going down the tracks and you have mm -hmm. to keep running to stay ahead of it. Uh, and so you shouldn't do cease and desist unless you're ready to, you know, to follow through mm -hmm. and uh, and pursue that that litigation. Oftentimes the season is all it takes. Hey, stop it. I don't like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it gets them thinking, Oh, I didn't realize I was hurting somebody. You know, I, I have one client with a, a very, uh, a, a trademarked title for her show. And unfortunately it's one of those titles that everybody thinks, Oh, I should call it this. And mm -hmm. so I would say 
probably five or six times a year, somebody comes up and starts a podcast with a very similar title. Mm -hmm. And so she actually, she's contacts me and says, should we send them a cease and desist? And I say, why don't you send them a quick email first? Just saying, Hey, don't know if you know this, I have a trademark, what you're doing infringes it. I'd really like it if you would stop before I have to bring the lawyers in. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, they stop. Oh gosh, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Cause they didn't do that search. We talked about earlier. Exactly. Had they done the search, then they, someone might've said, Oh, well, I probably shouldn't use that title. So yeah. that's sort of the, the kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it, 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 I guess it takes money out of my pocket, but on the other <laughs> hand, it keeps her out of, out of the courtroom and, and, I wouldn't have her as a client again if I ended up having to charge her tens of thousands of dollars of litigate or if she ended up having to pay, you know, litigation fees for things. So uh, sometimes a little honey is better than vinegar. Exactly. Definitely. And, you know, like you said, there's so many people out there that or there are people out there that are not really aware of the legalities with it or they don't know how to do the searches to see whether or not that the name is whether the name is taken or not. So, you know, like you said, to her just simply sending out a little email that that stopped a lot of the headache that she would have to go through with the whole cease and desist letter. Yeah. And it's really sort of killing them with kindness, just saying, you know, I'm sorry to have to do this, but mm-hmm. my lawyer says if I don't, I could lose my rights. Yes. So I've got to ask you to stop. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And with that said, I want to thank you so much, Gordon, for joining me today on another episode of Vibe Selection. Let everybody know where they can connect with you or retain you as a lawyer. Well, Kyra, thank you so much for having me. My, uh, yeah. uh, you can reach me at, at just my name, gordonfiremark.com. You can find me on social media. Gordon uh, G. Firemark is the way I usually do things on social. And uh, uh, if you're looking for specifically help with podcasts, uh, thepodcastlawyer.com is another great place. Yes. And they can also find the guest release form on your website as well. Correct? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And I want to thank all of you else for listening, for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I am your host, Kyra. And if you'd like to support the Vibe Selection podcast, you can do so at www.teespring.patreon.com slash Vibe Selection. If you like any Vibe Selection merchandise, you can grab that at www.teespring.com slash Vibe Selection. Or if you'd like to follow me on IG, you can do so at I am Kyra Mahoney. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I'll see you all next week. Stay safe, stay healthy out there. Bye. Thank you for joining Vibe Selection with Kyra. Come vibe out with us again next time and hear the latest on today's hot topics. Find us on Instagram at I am Kyra Mahoney or donate at www.patreon.com slash Vibe Selection.